It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Sports Talk on the Sports Buffet Radio Network. I'm your host, Lou Landers. I'm coming to you from Los Angeles, California. I am a baseball writer with MajorLeagueFantasySports.com, and my articles are published every Saturday morning. I'm also the host of Major League Fantasy Baseball Weekly every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I host that with my good buddy, Mr. Kyle Amore. I am joined here today by my co-host, Zach Sauer, who is also a writer with MajorLeagueFantasySports.com. His articles come out every Thursday. Zach is also my co-host on the Major League Fantasy Football Weekly Show, which will be starting up in June. Zach, what's happening, bud? How's everything going with your daily fantasy column? What's going on, man? Uh, There's a lot going on, and uh, all is well. Buffalo is finally starting to heat up a little bit, um, so that's exciting. Get the uh, short months of summer here. Um, but, yeah, looking forward to the football show starting up soon. I know we're going to be talking about a big shakeup here in just a few moments, and as far as the um, daily aspect, you can go check out uh, fantasyteamadvice.com. Um, I post maybe about two or three columns a week there, uh, just focusing on DraftKings cash games like your double up 50-50s. Um, I believe I'm four for four right now. I can't really tell because uh, DraftKings and FanDuel is illegal in New York now, so I can't really tell the scores that would have won, but from from years past and knowing what the, the pay line is and figuring out using, you know, my own mathematics and, and whatnot, I'm pretty sure I got a 100% cash rate right now, so I guess right while you're hot, but otherwise, I'm excited to break down this week in sports and uh, really uh, eat at this buffet, if you will. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, uh, congrats on that the success you have so far, and hopefully you keep it going. Uh, on today's show, as you mentioned, we'll definitely be talking about the big shakeup, the uh, big trade between the L.A. Rams, Tennessee Titans, uh, some NBA playoff matchups as well, and we'll discuss some weekend series from around Major League Baseball. We're taking live callers, so if you have any questions or comments, call us at 516-387-1306 and press 1 to enter the show. 
I'd like to thank our partners at Major League Fantasy Sports. You can tune into the Major League Fantasy Sports Baseball Show every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's hosted by Corey Roberts. And the aforementioned Major League Fantasy Baseball Weekly Show on Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I also want to thank our partners at R&B Music for the wonderful intro and outro tunes that we got. And with all that being said, Zach, let's get right into the action, man. Um, That Rams trade. So I have a couple questions for you about it, a couple things to discuss. Firstly, as I mentioned, they traded with the Titans. They got the first overall pick. First off, do you think they gave up too many picks to get this pick? Without question. I mean, they they sold the farm on this. Um, and shortly after, if you remember, um, getting the farm uh, from the Redskins in the RG3 deal um, and trolling them, uh, if you remember when the Rams played the Redskins and they rolled out um, Aaron Donald and a couple of the other players that they were able to draft because of that trade, um, Jeff Fisher went out and, and trolled the Redskins. And then um, we look a year or two later and, and they do the same thing and uh, sell the farm. Um, and for myself, not seeing the Andrew Luck or even, you know, an RG3 type prospect, uh, I definitely think they they gave up too much, but hey, if you if you see the quarterback you think that um, can be your future, then I don't think anything's too much because those don't come by um, every year, every five years even. So if they think they they see their guy, then I don't have a problem with it. But how I feel things will shake out with with Wentz or Goff in the NFL, I think it's too much. Yeah, no, that's 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 a uh, that's a valid point, Zach. I mean, one thing to keep in mind though is that it's not like they went from like pick six to one; they went from fifteen to one. That's a big jump. Yeah. Right? So that that is favorable, obviously. I mean, the player they're going to get at one is significantly more impactful than at fifteen. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious it's going to be either Jared Goff or Carson Wentz. Uh, yeah. In my opinion, and I'm going to ask you your opinion right after, um, I think Wentz is probably the better prospect and long-term fit for the Rams. But for 2016, maybe 2017, I'd say Goff is probably a better choice. I don't think there's necessarily a right or a wrong option here. I think it's obvious they're going to take the quarterback and the Browns are going to take the next one, whichever quarterback the Rams don't take type of thing at number two. Uh, but my question to you is, who do you think they'll take, Wentz or Goff? That's, that's uh, I hate to be in such an agreement on everything because I'd like to create conversation, but um, I guess we're just both on the same mindset, and I guess we're just both intelligent men. But um, I agree with you wholeheartedly that I think for this year, if we were to draft and say who's going to be the better quarterback, I think it's Jared Goff, and I would – I would take him for this year and maybe the next three. But I think if you're looking long-term, um, it's Carson Wentz as a better prospect. I think Goff is more NFL-ready right now. Um, people may have a discretion on, um, you know, an FBS quarterback versus an FCS quarterback and the, the the difference in competition, and that's why Carson Wentz still won four uh, championships in a row. But nevertheless, even even if you're playing uh, a high school four years in a row and win a championship, that's still that's still solid accolades. Um, 
and it's a hard thing to do. So I, I do um, like the prospects of Carson Wentz a little bit more than Jared Goff for the long haul. But um, I think they're going to go Wentz, but I wouldn't fault them for going Goff. And then I think, yeah, um, I think the second pick gets really interesting too there um, with Cleveland and maybe uh, a team like Philadelphia or or San Francisco maybe trading up to the number two and Cleveland moving back down. Yeah, that's always a possibility, but, I mean, the Browns definitely need a legitimate quarterback um, that's not RG3. <laughs> um, you don't you think know, he's like the they, answer? <laughs> no, I mean, I think they need to – I think they need to draft one of these guys, and I think they are in a good position, though, because I do think it's kind of a uh, – like a wish-wash, if you will – um, of you know, it's like Goff or Wentz. I, just, I don't think either of them are necessarily elite, as you mentioned. You know, there's no Andrew Luck here. Right. Um, oh. But but with that being said, I do think that they should go with Wentz uh, specifically because I think there's more upside there. I also think um, that it just it makes sense to go with the guy with the more upside unless they're in a rush to try and win this year, which I don't think they should be. Um, I just, I just don't see them going um, with, with golf, but that's, that's up to Jeff Fisher and the rest of that crew. And, you know, in about two weeks or so, we'll, uh, we will find out. Yeah. And I think, I think this impacts the draft um, in a, in a couple ways. One, I think it makes like, like I said, the number two pick very interesting. Um, I wouldn't fault the Browns for, you know, maybe moving down and taking Paxton Lynch as a quarterback and getting an extra pick or two from a team like Philadelphia who who was in um, dimensions of serious talks with the Titans as well. And the, the Titans, you know, obviously played that to their advantage um, and kind of said, hey, I'm getting offered this and, and got the farm from doing so. Um, and I think that also moves down – um, a number of other players, uh, specifically at the top, like Laramie Tunsil, the tackle, um, Jalen Ramsey, a cornerback from Florida State, and Ezekiel Elliott, who, you know, in years past, were all about not taking running backs in the first round, but it seems as if uh, everybody is super high on Ezekiel Elliott and kind of be that outlier. So that's going to push some of those guys down, and I think that makes uh, – a real interesting pick for your Cowboys at four. So uh, what would you like to see your boys do with the fourth, fourth pick? Miles Jack, Ramsey, uh, Zico I've heard Elliott. a lot about Ramsey. I've heard a lot about Ramsey, and uh, most of the mock drafts I've seen, by the way, have Wentz going at one, have Goff going at two. I'm blanking on who's going at three, and then Dallas I have at four taking Ramsey. But, I mean – the mocks, sometimes the mock drafts are spot on, and sometimes they are just not at all. What I mean, what who for knows? you as a Cowboy fan who or a position need? I mean, do, would do you want a corner? Do you want a linebacker um, with the often injured uh, Sean Lee? Do you want? I would say uh, I would say corner or linebacker. Yes, I would say corner yeah. or linebacker. Hundred percent. Gotcha. Um, they obviously don't need to add to the offensive line. They obviously, um, I think the signing of Alfred Morris was great for them. I like the one-two punch of Morris and McFadden. 
Uh, I think their running game will be much, much better this year. Uh, obviously, you know, they're pretty tight at wide receiver. They got wins still. Uh, and I don't think they need to make improvements to the offense. I think they just need a healthy Tony Romo. Um, defensively, yeah, I mean, last year they weren't even – defensively, last weren't year they really bad. weren't even that bad. They just yeah. – um, and also, remember, they didn't have Skandrick. Remember, remember, their their best right. corner in Skandrick wasn't even playing last year, right? So, um, you get yeah. him back um, in the second year – of Byron Jones, who I hear is going to be playing more safety. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would take a corner or a linebacker. I think it would be, um, you know, a great pick either way for them. I also wouldn't be surprised if they moved down, though. They moved down to yeah. six, seven, or eight and tried to acquire another pick, too. So, yeah, that would be um, a bad we'll, we'll have to off. see. We'll have to see. Right. And, I mean, as the uh, – I'm sure we'll be talking about the draft next week as well, you know, with the, it, it is fast approaching. But let's get Indeed over it to, is, my uh, friend. Let's get over to some NBA action. And uh, playoffs started this past weekend. Um, I mean, only one game, only one game has been played each, each series so far. Game two for at least three of the series do go tonight, though. Let's start off with the Miami Heat and the Charlotte Bobcats. Are they still the Bobcats? No, they're the Hornets again, but I, I will stick with the Bobcats. I mean, that was cool while it lasted. Yeah, I, 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 I was just messing around. Yeah, I was just joking. I just like that they've gone from the Hornets to Bobcats to Hornets, like boom, boom, boom. Right. So, um, obviously, the Heat, the Hornets. Uh, Miami took game one pretty handily, actually, as well. Um, what what have you, what have you seen so far in this series? Do, do you think the, do you think the Bobcats <laughs> have a uh, have a shot at even winning two games in this series? I really don't think so. I mean, uh, Bobcats are are not equipped to handle a team like Miami, um, especially with um, the the uh, players of the Bobcats not having. A, a lot of playoff experience, whereas you look at Miami, uh, you're looking at guys like Dwayne Wade, Blue Al Dang, Joe Johnson, um, as guys with uh, a real long history of, of playoff performances. And those guys showed up, Dang poured out 31 points and seven assists in 32 minutes. Uh, Wade went 16 and four, uh, rebounds, seven assists. Um, he didn't need to play a lot. And the thing here is the best player on, on the Hornets, uh, well, you can argue Nick Batum or Kemba Walker, but Walker is obviously their most dynamic scorer. And the Heat scoring Dragic um, and just the guard as a whole uh, give up at least bottom five uh, points to the position. So without Walker being able to be effective in this series, I think Miami's just going to roll. And they didn't have an answer for – Hassan Whiteside either, and uh, he went 21 with 11 rebounds, two steals, three blocks. Um, just came out that he finished third in Defensive Player of the Year behind uh, Draymond Green and winner Kawhi Leonard. So that's big ups for a guy who a couple of years ago um, was drafted by the Kings and, and just traded away for pretty much absolutely nothing. And uh, if you look at five years ago or whenever – DeMarcus Cousins was drafted, which I think it was about five years ago. Uh, the Kings also drafted Hassan Whiteside. And finally, a Kings center is playing in a playoff game, and that's not DeMarcus Cousins, it's Hassan Whiteside. So I think Miami's 
going to roll in this series, either 4-0 or 4-1. Yeah, it seems, it seems like a little bit of a mismatch to me specifically. And, like, as you mentioned, the Heat, um, you know, the, the playoff experience alone to me is, you know, the type of thing that can get you through a first-round series um, unless you're, you know, the, the number eight going up against the number one necessarily. Right. Um, let's uh, let's move over to obviously a more interesting one to me as a, you know, Toronto kid growing up and that's the Raptors and the Pacers. And we talked a little bit about this last week, how, you know, going into the playoffs, you know, the Raptors uh, pro- possibly the only team to have had a chance to kind of give Cleveland a run for their money. But one thing I mentioned, and I know you agreed with is that the Raptors really have trouble winning playoff series. Um, they've only won one ever, and it was back when it was still uh, best three of five in the first round. So we're talking, what, like 12 years ago? Yeah. Maybe 13 wow. years ago? Yeah. yeah, maybe even longer than that. Uh, so, you know, like, they, they just don't win playoff series. And I think they're a significantly better team than the Pacers are. Um, I mean, DeRozan and Lowry both struggled in game one. And, I mean, Paul George just went off. He just had a game that I just I didn't see coming. Um, and he's the type of player, though, that if he's hot, he could, he could win this series by himself for, for the uh, Pacers. And the Raptors are going to have to do a much, much better job of uh, taking him out, out of his element or else they're, they're going to be in trouble. I mean, I don't think DeRozan and Lowry are going to both struggle again so much, but um, I'd be more worried about what the Pacers can do offensively um, as opposed to what the Raptors will lack, because I think they'll, they'll get back on their game offensively. I think they just need to come up with a bit of a better game plan for George specifically, but you're you're the basketball guy here, so uh, tell, well, me, you, tell me what you think is going on in this series. You had it pretty much nail on the head there, uh, Lou, I think. You know, Lowry and DeRozan went eight for 32. Um, that's not going to happen again. They're not going to play that poorly. Although um, Indiana uh, has good stoppers at the guards with George Hill, who is one of the top defensive point guards. Um, then you have Paul George, who can who can roll on DeRozan a bit if you want. Um, at the end of the game, I, I wasn't able to uh, watch it. I was driving, but... Um, just listening to the the radio cast of it, um, Lowry was on Paul George at the end of the game, which which makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, and it was on a couple of possessions, so it couldn't even be that it was um, switched on a pick and roll. They just, uh, you know, Lowry is a, a really great defender, but when you're mismatched by probably five or six inches in the NBA, um, and a guy like you said, Paul George, that who went as hot is uh, arguably top five player in the NBA, and we saw that before, his devastating leg injury, which was absolutely gruesome if you saw it. Um, But, yeah, I'd be a little worried about Toronto and uh, what they do going forward with Paul George. Uh, He's a playmaker. He's a scorer. He's he's a defender. He's a rebounder. He can do it all. Um, And that's really the only guy that can hurt you on Indiana offensively. I mean, they have Monta Ellis, um, who – you know, is as streaky as they come, so I wouldn't be too worried about him. But we'll see what they do going forward. I mean, 
this is the team that, like we said, we talked about a little bit, giving Cleveland some problems. Um, but I think, you know, after watching just one playoff game, uh, I'm starting to rethink uh, my thought process and shifting more towards Miami and just um, their their playoff history alone, as well as having three playmakers on offense and Dang Wade and Joe Johnson and then uh, Whiteside, who the Cavaliers will not have an answer for either. So um, I think, you know, Lowry and Drews need to step up and win a series for Toronto, man. They, like you said, they haven't won in quite some time, and this was the year that they were poised to do it, and I think they can still do it. They just need to figure out a different game plan for Paul George and, and shoot better, which they will. Like I said, Lowry and Drews are not going to go – eight for 32 the whole series. No, I don't think so either. I mean, I'm looking forward to that game tonight. I believe it's seven Eastern four Pacific. I'll definitely be tuning in. Also, my Yanks have a day off today. Uh, the Red Sox and Jays already played. They played the early uh, Patriots day game. So I don't have much ALE baseball to be watching. I'll be pretty much focused solely on the Raptors. Uh, hopefully they can get a win and, I do believe that they've never won the game one of a playoff series before either. So them losing game one is no, uh, is, is not a position. It's not like they've never been in that position before. Um, I would say that tonight's game is huge though. You definitely don't want to go down to, to zip going oh, um, to yeah. Indiana. Um, that sure. is just not something that you do want to, um, you want to put yourself in. And that's just not the Raptors. That's any team going Anybody. down to, Oh, yeah. Um, going down 2-0 on the road. I mean, just in the NHL playoffs, the uh, the, the Ducks. Um, as I, you know, I'm out here in California. Um, lots of people are very worried about them now. You know, they went down two nothing in their series last night to the uh, Nashville Predators. Now they're going to Nashville for two two games. Mm-hmm. And you know, like e- even if they get it back to um, a- Anaheim, they'll likely be they'll likely be down three one. Uh, so, you know, it, it's a really tough spot to play yourself in. But let's go over to uh, the defending Eastern champion, the Cavaliers and the Pistons. And although I don't really expect the Pistons to do much in this series, they did they did keep this game very close until the end. I will give them credit for that. This game was, this game was competitive. Um, I never thought for a moment that Cleveland wasn't going to win it, but the Pistons were around. And um, you know, a shot here, a shot there, a misplay here and misplay there, and we could have had a different outcome. Yeah, without question. And I I foreshadow the the Cleveland Cavaliers to play a bunch of a bunch of these close games. Um I just don't think their their team chemistry is there. I think there's uh there's rumors of uh, you know, LeBron and Irving and Love kind of all being somewhat unhappy um, either with each other or just the situation. Um, but they all played extremely well. Um, if you look at the numbers, uh, LeBron went 22, 11 assists, six boards, two blocks and two steals. Kyrie Irving showed out with 31 points, six assists. And then Kevin Love, big double-double, 28 and 13 in his first <clears throat> uh, game of the series. And, that's going to be a big X factor for the Cavaliers, um, especially in this series, because Andre Drummond or any big man can really give Cleveland Cavaliers a fit. Uh, Tristan Thompson's a good offensive rebounder, 
But on the defensive end, he's nothing to write home about, and he can uh, be susceptible to uh, getting scored on. But Drummond, he did get a double-double, but only went 13-11. and 11. Uh, Still a double-double, but I expected to see quite a bit more of Andre Drummond. Our, uh, Reggie Jackson uh, is arguably their most dynamic player, um, and that's where the, the Cavaliers are most susceptible to be scored on. It's a point guard position. Um, Reggie went out with for 17 points, seven assists. Um, then Contavious Caldwell, Pulp, Georgia product, had a pretty good shooting game, uh, scored 21 points and three assists as well. And, you know, I think this game, this series could go uh, five or six games, but I think all the games are going to be close and, and moving forward. Uh, really, whoever Cleveland plays, I think it's just going to be these kind of nail-biter games where it comes down to the last two minutes and, and they kind of all stand around and, and watch LeBron make a play or make the last shot. And that's not good. You don't want to have to rely on that every single game because LeBron's already got so much tread on those tires from making uh, deep playoff runs that you don't want to stretch out series. You want to get them rest. Um, and I just don't see a lot of rest coming um, after maybe this first round. Uh, most – Definitely not. And one thing I was I wanted to come in by you were on the roll. I didn't want to interrupt. A key thing for Cleveland this year is going to be hoping that Kevin Love doesn't get injured first round either. Because I mean that had a huge impact on their entire playoff run um, last season. I mean not you know not being able to have a guy like that in the lineup puts that much more stress on. LeBron and Kyrie, and then Kyrie went down with with an injury, yep. and it was pretty much LeBron versus the Warriors last year. Um, Indeed, so you know, like JV team. Yeah, so I mean, th- those are also key things to consider. And speaking of injuries and the Warriors, let's go over to the Warriors and the the Rockets. Are you concerned with Steph Curry's ankles? Uh I mean, yes and no, only because. Yes, because obviously this has been a problem in the past when he first came in the NBA, um, and it kind of uh, made the superstar of Curry uh, wait a few years because of these injuries and missing a lot of time. But it doesn't seem to be serious. Um, he he would have been able to play, I'm pretty sure, if they weren't already blowing out the Rockets. He said that he tried. Uh, talking Steve Kerr into letting him go in three different times. But at that point, they were already up 20 to 30 points. So, obviously, um, you're not going to let your star player who just rolled his ankle go out there and and get hurt again. Um, So, he only played 19 minutes in game one, still scored 24 points. Um, So, dude, it's just electric. I mean, I, I love LeBron James, my favorite athlete and you could mock it all you want he's a big baby cries but it's just hard not to love Steph Curry the guy's uh, effing amazing at what he does and it's just so unbelievable and it it makes um it makes youth people youth basketball players if you will kind of give them a a glimpse of hope because you know not everyone's gonna be born six eight and 250 pounds of lean muscle like LeBron James uh Curry is a small, slender, uh, just above six-foot guy who who is arguably the best player in the NBA. So that's just cool to see. And then Draymond Green finished second um, in defensive player of the year, 
showed out with 12 points, 10 boards, four assists. I mean, this is really, especially um, as a as a daily fantasy player, you really look for these kind of stats, and it made Draymond so good. He got two steals and four blocks. Um, you just want players that stuff that sheet, and he really does. And then the other big thing that I took out of this game is James Harden shot zero free throws. And I believe that's the first time in, in several years that he hasn't shot a free throw in a game. This is a guy that uses his his body and contorts it and rips the ball through people's arms to get himself on the line nine or ten times a game, and he wasn't able to do so. So um, I don't envision any of these Western Conference series going past five games. I think uh, each of the lower seed are overmatched by, by a long shot. So I think these are all going to be pretty pretty boring series um, until the next round, and I think then we'll start seeing some really good basketball. Yeah, I would have to agree with that in the Western Conference uh, as well. That's a good point. Um, one thing back to Curry. Uh, multiple reports that I've heard is that he likely will sit out game two. I don't think it will really affect this series. I think the Warriors are a great team regardless. Um, I mean, obviously, if Curry were to miss any significant period of time, I would start to worry about them against teams like the Spurs and the Thunder, but uh, and maybe even the Clippers, I guess. But I don't think that's going to be the case with Curry. I think even if he sits out game two, the Warriors will still win. Um, they'll give them the luxury of being able to be careful with him and make sure that he's right and ready for the next couple series, which will be much, much more intense, much more competitive. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I totally agree. I think Curry could sit out this whole series. Um, and obviously they, w- they wouldn't want to do so because then I think, you know, the series could go six games. But I think the Thunder would uh, – Thunder, pardon. The, the Warriors would still win the series without Curry. Um, just the depth of the Warriors is insane with Iguodala, Livingston, uh, Maurice States, and, you know, a couple of the other guys, Barbosa, you know, they're they're just so deep. And Houston um, can't even find a fifth starter. Uh, they're, they're toying between Corey Brewer, Dante Mayunas. Uh, they were playing K.J. McDaniels at the end of the season. So they can't even find a fifth starter. And, and Golden State uh, arguably can go 10 deep um, if they wanted to, maybe even more. So, uh, they could just simply outlast the Rockets in the series without Curry if they needed to. Yeah, the only thing you worry about there is uh, potential rust. You don't want to let a guy like Steph Curry get rusty at all either, right? So, I mean, you sit, sit him out game two and then maybe not sit him out with the rest of the series, but limit his playing time, see how the flow of the games are going. And just, just it's something you want to monitor closely because he is your star player, and you need him for the playoff for the remainder of the playoffs. And um, as we both mentioned, I mean, this is a series that they really should be able to win without him. Let's uh, yeah. let's go over to another another um, matchup, and this is one I'm watching closely, being here in LA. Um, I I mean, obviously, how could I not have liked the late Lakers when I was a kid with Shaq and Kobe and everything? But I've never really been a huge Lakers guy. Um, and since I've been here, at least, the Lakers have not been competitive at all. And the Clippers have been very exciting. I mean, when they're, when they're healthy and, um, you know, have, have their, their full roster intact, they're, they're, they're a pretty good team. 
Um, I don't think they're at the same level as the Spurs or the Thunder or the Warriors, but they did beat the Spurs last year in the playoffs. And who's to say that they, they can't shock a team um, and win, you know, win a series and go further than people are expecting. I mean, if, if they're healthy, um, do you think the, the Blazers give them any, any um, series here though? Like I know we talked, you know, five games, maybe six in some of these Western conference series, but if there's one series that could be somewhat close, do you think it could be this one? Yeah. If it were to be any of them in the Western conference, I think it would be this series. Um, nevertheless, I do see it um, kind of mirroring the the Miami and Charlotte Bobcat series where um, the Portland's best players are Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum. Um, but the Clippers, uh, you know, Chris Paul is a defensive stopper and really shut down Lillard um, pretty much the whole regular season in the four games they played and um, did a good job of doing so last night. Uh, uh, even though Lillard scored 21 points and had eight assists, he, he struggled all game and looked flustered all game. And Paul went out and put up 28 points, uh, 11 assists, and six boards. Um, and there's two X factors in this series that I thought um, would either, A, you know, have the Clippers win it in four or five or stretch it out to a six- and seven-game series. And those X factors were Blake Griffin and how he's playing coming off um, the broken hand and thigh injury, and then that of C.J. McCollum, who gets the easier matchup of J.J. Redick and not Chris Paul and really need him to be more of a, a scoring threat for them to uh, make the series close. But last night, McCollum goes only for nine points and three assists, and Blake Griffin goes out, has some spectacular dunks, 19 points, 12, 12 boards, uh, six assists, this is a guy that can do it all. And then you got DeAndre Jordan, who's not a big scorer, but um, is a shot blocker. And he, he did so with four blocks last night and had a huge double-double of 18 points, uh, 12 rebounds. So I think this series goes five as well. But um, if there were to be any series that stayed somewhat close, it would be this one. And it would just be a, a factor of Chris Paul maybe having an, an off-shooting night and a night where Damian Lillard gets hot and he's a guy that can go out and score you 40 or 50 points on any given night. So um, I think if this if this were to go six game, it would be on the heels of, of Damian Lillard just absolutely going bonkers. But other than that, I think the Clippers, you know, take care of them pretty handily. And I think they're, they're the biggest wild card in the whole playoffs. Because um, as you said, they, they took out the Spurs last year um, – they should have beat Houston. They were up 3-1 and then lost in seven seven games. But Chris Paul has something to prove in the playoffs. Uh, Blake Griffin just gets better every year, so I think he's even better than he was last year uh, post-injury. He's just a, a better shooter, uh, a better passer. And then you got DeAndre Jordan, like I said, and then a guy in J.J. Redick who last night went 8-for-12 and just can hit it from downtown, um, and he shot at a better – three percentage than Steph Curry this year. So uh, they they got a shooter, they got, you know, passer and Chris Paul, and then two electric big men. So I think they're a team that could maybe upset uh, the Spurs again or give give uh, uh, Oklahoma City a run for their money or actually even give Golden State a run for their money in, in a, 
possible six-game series. So I think they're the biggest X factor um, in the playoffs. And uh, as you said, I mean, they're just an exciting team to watch, too. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword there. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see them go go far. Um, but they have, you know, those three teams above them, as, as uh, we mentioned, OKC, San Antonio, and uh, Golden State are the creme de la creme in the NBA right now. Um, so, I mean, any of those three teams, if they were in the Eastern Conference, would have been the first seed. I don't think we can, yeah. we can yeah. you know, there's any argument there. So, um, the, you know, the, the, West, the West is a little, is pretty top heavy, as is, um, and in the past it's been a little more balanced, but it's, uh, it's very top heavy this year. And those four teams, really, I just don't see anyone kind of getting in their way. Um, as you said, it should be a pretty um, simple, easy first series for those top seeds. Let's go over to some Major League Baseball, though. We have about 20, 25 minutes left on the show. Uh, there's a couple series that kind of stood out to me, um, some, some surprising, some just really good series with good teams, some good baseball being played. Let's start with the uh, second series already between the Giants and the Dodgers. Um, we had the Mass and Bumgarner, Clayton Kershaw, uh, round two in this series. Um, we had an incredible pitching performance last night from Kent Ameda again. He did finally give up a run, but he has <laughs> just been light out. He actually leads all of uh, Major League Baseball in um, ERA with minimum three starts. He has the best ERA in, in the majors so far. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's only been three starts, but, I mean, you can't really ask for anything more of this guy. He's supposed to potentially be the guy to replace Zach Granke in that rotation. And so far, so good, I would have to say. But, Zach, talk to me a little bit about this Giants-Dodgers series, what you saw, what you liked, what you didn't like. Well, as a, as a Dodger fan and Maryland fan, um, as I've said in the past, uh, I liked all what I saw in the series, and that was – um, you know, Kershaw getting the win over Baumgartner. Um, and the one number that I brought up uh, last night on the, the, the Sunday night show was Chiki Hernandez, who in 16 at-bats against Madison Baumgartner has three home runs, four doubles, and a, a 1.8 slugging percentage. And he he's going to see a lot more time um, just due to uh, the propensity of Carl Crawford and the likes of Scott Van Slyke, um injury history and then to, you know, be on the 15-day DL. So he's going to see a lot of time, and he just had Bumgarner's number. Um, and you mentioned Kenta Maeda. Uh, what a pitching performance through first three games. And guys have been electric. Um, his command was uh, what was really remarkable for the first two starts. Yesterday he walked three guys, but uh, his strikeout numbers went up. Uh, I believe he struck out seven last night, and then his first two games he struck out four. Um, in both games through six. So, uh, so far, so good. I mean, he's pitched better than Gravey has for, for the or Diamondbacks. And um, I like I like what the Dodgers have in their rotation. Um, and they have a lot of arms in waiting. You, when you talk about Hyung Jung Ryu, who's on the who's on the disabled list, um, Brett Anderson, who's on the disabled list, and then a guy, um, Urias, who they have, uh, who's an electric player in the minors that they could also use. Um, 
and De Leon and Urias yeah, yeah. minors. Both those right. guys um, are top pitching prospects. Urias, um, elite for sure. Right. And De, De, and De Leon actually Ross might Stripling. be closer to the majors. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and Stripling too, um, came out and very impressive. Two really, yeah, two really good games. So they have a lot of arms in waiting there that are that are going to really bolster this uh, rotation and you know, could really give teams some fits um, in the three and five or the three and four game or four win series in the playoffs, you know, when you could go four or five deep um, with good arms. And, you know, you talk about another veteran lefty, Scott Cashmere, who's who's not going to blow you away, but who's a crafty veteran. Uh, they got some, they got some nice arms there and we'll see what their, their batting order can do. Um, they don't have any, you know, superstar, if you will. I think Quig's going to have a nice bounce back here. They have Agon. It's going to be who he's going to be. And then we'll see if Jack Peterson can uh, uh, figure out how to hit off a lefty. And if he can do so, um, this team can do some damage. Yeah, well, Agon's a model of consistency. Always has been. Uh, Definitely been impressed by Quig so far. The guy I really like is uh, Clay Thompson's brother, Trace to Thompson, who's Trace, yeah. some time in the outfield now because Ethier still hurt and Crawford just sucks. He's just awful. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I'm glad I'm glad they're giving Thompson a chance because he was uh, part of you know a big acquisition. Trade, I think he was yeah. part of the three way trade for Todd Fraser with the White Sox and the Reds, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the Indeed, he was. The Reds, yep. Fraser, yeah. So uh, you know that that's a good ball player right there. And uh, certainly, certainly comes from a very athletic family as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I like what the Dodgers have offensively. And I think the biggest question entering the season was going to be their starting rotation because of the injuries, because of the loss of Granky. And that's why people like myself kind of had them floating around second or third, possibly in the division, because I was so unsure of what their starting rotation would look like. Um, then, I mean, the Diamondbacks, terrible outings from Shelby Miller so far. Branke finally was okay in his uh, third start of the year, but they lost A.J. Pollock, the D-backs, and we all know that just because you win the off season doesn't mean that you win in the regular yeah. season. So um, there's definitely some question marks there. We know the Giants are good. We know the Giants are going to be good. But these games between these two teams, specifically Giants-Dodgers, are always very heated, no matter how early or late in the season that it is. Um, and it's it's big for the Dodgers to be able to take two of three, especially being the home team in this series. Um, and, yeah, I mean, these two teams should kind of be going at it all year long. And I look forward to more Kershaw and Bumgarner matchups. I was making a joke on Thursday night. I was like, imagine being able to get one of these a week. <laughs> if it was actually right. possible, a Kershaw Bumgarner matchup, it'd be unbelievable. Um, sadly, that's not the case. Let's go over to another series. And this was a bit of a shocker based on uh, where each of these teams were before the series started. This is the Angels and the Twins. The Angels were in first place in the division, kind of shocking to a lot of people. And the Twins hadn't won a game. They were 0-9. The Twins swept this series, uh, finally got some production from their offense. I believe they had 14 runs scored in this series, and they had a total of 14 runs in the first nine games of the season. So clearly a, a, a much improved offensive showing in this series. And, I mean, yeah, they're 3-9, and nine, but uh, if they started 1-11 or 0-12, I'd say their season's probably finished. 3-9, and nine, anything's possible. You, you, you never know. 
Um, and for the Angels, I mean, I was kind of shocked that they were doing as well as they were. I think their pitching staff is very average at best. Um, I mean, obviously, we know Mike Trout's fantastic. Pools will hit his home runs. Cole Calhoun's a solid ball player. Um, you know, Escobar can do some things here and there at the plate. But beyond that, I mean, they don't really have a very deep lineup. They don't have a very deep pitching staff. And um, their middle relief is suspect as well. I mean, um, Houston Street's pre- pretty consistent, but you've got to be able to get him the ball with a lead. Um, and then on the twin side, I mean, we know that they can hit the ball when things are going right, but they did lose Glenn Perkins to a 15-day DL thing with uh, some shoulder tendonitis, so who knows how long he'll be out. I think right now Kevin Jepson is the guy there, and um, he's certainly not um, the most reliable, but hopefully he'll be able to fill in, and we'll see if their starting pitching can uh, be a little more consistent. But, Zach, talk to me about what you see really more so from the twins. If you think they can kind of battle their way back into this divisional race. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple things here. I don't think the twins are um, as bad as they started off. And I don't think the angels are as good as they started off. And uh, both of the, the angels uh, stars in, in the lineup have struggled. Trout's uh, batting 233 with only one homer and Pujols 196 and two homers. I know it's still early, but that's a kind of a cause for concern somewhat. Um, as you said, their pitching staff is average at best, and at best is the key word there. Um, but Minnesota, I mean, you know, as you said, they lost Perkins, and they haven't given a timetable on that. And with with a pitcher, that's never a good indicator. Um, when they don't, you know, give a timetable right away, it could be inflammation, it could be a shoulder strain, it could be a, a lat injury, what, uh, you know, Dukram had before this uh, pretty uh, upsetting news about, you know, his kid being hospitalized, which is pretty sad. Um, but not having – Although, know, that, means... an update on that, an update on that that I saw this morning is um, everything seems to be A-OK now with, with, the, uh, with, with the child, and he's been throwing um, some bat- batting practice and stuff, Dukram. Nice. So – Hopefully, hopefully that's where it stays. Hopefully, things continue to improve, and uh, there won't be any more issues right. with that. Sorry to interrupt. No, I just I, I wanted to uh, no, give an update. No, on it's that. all all gravy, and I appreciate that because I actually uh, own him and haven't really, uh, you know, looked at what the timetable were uh, for him. But the other, the last thing I want to mention here with the Twins, and I want to get your take on it, um, is you're probably more apt to do so. Um, Something I, I heard on the radio, I listened to, you know, Sirius XM Fantasy Radio. That's all I – the only reason I bought Sirius Radio, to listen to one channel, and that's all I listened to. I, I can't say I've listened to a local radio show or popped in a CD in probably four years. Um, but the one thing I, I wanted the host brought up, and I thought it was extremely um, fitting, is Minnesota seems to have low blood pressure um, as an organization, meaning um, – they don't overreact to any situation, um, which can be a good thing, but also a bad thing in a sense of last year they missed the postseason by one game. Um, and some say that Jose Arios was, was ready at the end of last season. And he arguably um, could have had a war over one, which would have you know given them uh, a win to make it into the postseason. And this year, how long are they going to wait to bring their uh, arguably top pitching prospect in, in the whole MLB, um, 
you know, alongside Lucas Tiolito probably. Um, how long are they going to wait? Or are they going to let themselves dig in a huge hole and then say, oh, whatever, we'll wait longer? Or are they going to bring him up and say, hey, we got a shot at this. Let's bring up our, our young stud and see what we can make hay with. Yeah, I mean that that's that's an interesting that's an interesting point. I think we talked a little bit about it last week as well. Um, I, I don't really want to look back at that because there's a lot of ifs and and buts around right. it. Um, I mean, yeah, you could say Barrios may have had an over one war, but maybe he would have taken over a spot for a guy that happened to um, be productive at the time he was pitching too. You know, it's. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't really want to harp on what could have been last season. I do want to say, though, that I think it would be beneficial for the Twins maybe by the end of next month, uh, sorry, by the end of this month, to bring Barrios up and really see what he can do, especially if they, you know, get back into this divisional race, get back to about that right. 500 mark. So they can get back to the 500 mark even by the end of May. I mean, they're, they're, they're right in it. I mean, it's a long, long season. Um, six games under, six games under seems like a lot, but six weeks from now, it, it's not hard to make up six games. You know, um, no doubt. So I, I, I think it would be very, I think it would be a very good idea for them to try and test the waters with Barrios a little bit and see um, exactly what they can get from him. But let's uh, let's go over to. Um, the Royals who are leading that central division right now and the Oakland A's who surprisingly took two of three from the Royals in Oakland. Um, And I mean, not to say that um, Oakland's a terrible team, but I mean, you you see a matchup like this, Oakland KC, you really expect the Royals to take two of three, if not, you know, kind of sweep this series and Oakland, Oakland played tough with them. And a big thing that I want to talk about with Oakland specifically is that closer Sean Doolittle, who dealt with a lot of injuries last year, has really struggled so far this year. And they've actually kind of given the reins, it seems, to Ryan Madsen, who was very successful as a seventh-inning guy um, last year with the Royals. Who is in, he's now with the A's, and it looks like he might be the closer for now. Um, so, I mean, in, for fantasy players, for sure, definitely take a look at Madsen if he's still available. And just in gen- general, what do you think this means um, for a team like Oakland who, you know, you might have thought, okay, Madsen 8th, Doolittle nine, that's pretty solid. They get there now, but who knows what you're going to get from Doolittle now. Um, you know, you have to get the lead to Madsen in the nines. And, I mean, he's obviously not going to stay perfect all, all, all year long. Like, do the A's even have a chance in that Western division with definitely three great teams, in my opinion, in Seattle, Texas, and Houston? And um, the Angels are obviously going to be competitive. So do you think the A's even stand a chance in this division, or are they going to be probably one of the worst teams in the American League when it's all said and done? Yeah, I think they'll definitely be a bottom feeder there. Um, I don't think um, – I think they definitely have uh, handed the ball over to Madsen um, for the here and now and for the, the near future and maybe maybe the long haul, especially with Doolittle's uh, injury-riddled history. Um, but I don't think it has a big um, impact on their uh, finish. Um, 
as you said, for fantasy players, uh, don't even take a look. As you said, go out and get Madsen now um, if he's available, which uh, I have a hard time believing he would, uh, especially with all the smart people we play with. Um, you know, maybe out there, some of you guys in, in your home leagues, he is available. So go go do that. Um, you know, Kansas City, if you look at this closely, they could have easily won the series 2-1. Um, the one thing... Their pride and glory is their bullpen. Brought over Yaquin Soria um, to help bolster this bullpen, and he actually gave up uh, the winning run and the tying and winning run in the uh, the season closer um, yesterday. So you know, say we look at that on on a regular day where Kansas City's bullpen is perfect, like like they usually are nine times out of ten, Kansas City wins the series uh, two to one. So I don't think we have to put too much stake. Um, into the series, it's just kind of, you know, early baseball and things happen. And I think it, it, when all is said and done, KC will be atop their division. Oakland will be at the bottom, and um, we won't even look at this series as anything um, to write home about. Uh, it's just, you know, that's why they play the game. You know, it, things happen, and, and Oakland took this series, and, and good for them. Absolutely, I agree with you there wholeheartedly. Uh, it's just funny to see that uh, you know a team like the Royals never blow leads late in games, right. and then you have a team like o- Oakland who uh, you know is supposed to have one guy as closer, and all of a sudden an ex Royal yeah. who was pretty much replaced right. by Soria, who's been awful so so far, is closing out games for Oakland. They actually closed out right. two of the both of the A's wins. In this series, total duck position. Um, <laughs> yes, um, it's very, it's very humorous. Looks like we have time for one more series to talk about. Um, this, this, this was another bit of a bit of a shocker. On Thursday, we were talking about the series. This is the Rockies and the Cubs, and like, oh, it's going to be an easy sweep for the Cubs. The Rockies don't match up at all. They have no starting pitching. Blah blah blah. Well, lo and behold, the Rockies take two of three in Chicago from the Cubbies, who at the time had the best record in the National League. They still might be tied with the Nationals for that um, top spot so far. But def- definitely not a series we would have expected. Even, um, I mean, the A's winning two or three from KC is one thing. But this, this was a whole other thing. I mean, the Cubs are, you know, World Series favorites. And, of course, it's early. It's not like I'm going to panic and say the Rockies are a great squad or anything like that. But definitely interesting to see them take two of three. And it's also interesting to see them get some quality starts from guys when they're not pitching in Colorado. Yeah, I mean, without question. And I, I just want to talk about this series real quickly, and then I want to ask you about an upcoming series, um, if we may, before we shut it down. But uh, one thing you should bring up to you, our boy Kyle on the Thursday show is you can't be the best team in baseball and be shut out by Tyler Chatwood. Okay, um, John Lester pitched a gem and took a loss because uh, the Cubbies couldn't get a hit off Chatwood. I think they had one hit, and it was from uh, Javier Baez, who just came up. Um, he's going to see some playing time with the injured Kyle Schwarber. So it is kind of a surprising, um, uh, I think, more of an anomaly than anything, you know, that the, the Cubbies, they, they have this propensity where they they have games like this where they're going to strike out a ton. Um and get shut out, but then, you know, on the other hand, more times than not, they're going to put up eight runs, you know, five, six, seven runs um, with this high-powered offense. So 
I think, you know, it's somewhat of an anomaly, like I said. And then one thing moving forward that I want to get your take on is um, this upcoming series with the Mets and the Phillies. And I think it's going to be kind of more interesting than maybe one would have thought uh, looking at the start of the season. You got Noah Syndergaard tonight who's, who's pitching absolutely lights out. But then you got another guy, uh, Jared Eikhoff, who, who I, I like a ton as well, facing um, an offense in the Mets who is been hot as of late, but, you know, like the Cubbies can strike out a lot and be shut be shut out. And then looking at, you know, game two, you have Vince Velasquez, who uh, I talked about on the show last night. It's, it's really humorous that he was traded in the Ken Giles trade, and Giles isn't even closing out games for Houston right now. He's, he's a setup man, and he's getting rocked. He's already given up more home runs this year than he has um, – in his career as a as a Philly, and Velasquez came over and threw a complete game shutout with 16 strikeouts. Um, this is going to be a, a series with a, a team in the Mets who uh, are poised to make a World Series run and a, a rebuilding Phillies team. But I like some of these young Phillies players, and I think this series will be interesting um, with some of these young Philly pitchers. Well, this is a good question, and. Of course, I'm going to say the Mets are definitely the better team overall, but this Phillies pitching rotation is actually very underrated. I mean, you look yeah. at Nola, you look at Eikhoff, you look at Velasquez, and Jeremy Hellickson, we were talking about him the other night too. He, a guy who had a lot of success back with the Rays, and, um, you know, he had some injury issues. I think he was – Bounced around a little bit, maybe was he yeah. in Arizona, maybe I think he was somewhere. Yeah, West Coast. yeah. Uh, yeah. But this is a guy that's always kind of had good stuff, and a- any pitcher that comes up through the Rays farm system is typically, typically yep. has a good makeup. Um, and you know, as a thirty or four starter on the in this Phillies ro- rotation, I mean, it's not like there's great lineups in the NL East. There, there really, there really is not. Yeah. There really is not at all. I mean, the Marlins have a solid one, one through four, I would say. Um, the Mets have, you know, a couple of good players here or there. Conforto and Cespedes. If Conforto and Cespedes are both hitting, then um, you know they're they're okay as well. Um, but I mean, there's 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 no there's no lineup that really sticks out to you. The Nationals have Murphy and Harper, but there's no really deep lineups there. And the Phillies could be more competitive this year than people thought, simply because of these young pitchers. Um, and Hellickson. Uh, I don't think they're going to hit the ball that well, and they're definitely rebuilding and up and coming. But, um, you know, I call Noah and Velasquez is, is you know, the, any given day those guys can go out there and give you a win. There's no reason why they can't, especially in that division, like we're saying. Like, yeah, they might, like, they might be going up against good pitchers in the Mets, but if the Mets aren't hitting and they're a very streaky offensive ball club, then all of a sudden you find yourselves um, kind of looking like, well, what are we supposed to do now? Like we can't, if we're not hitting, we're going to lose games 2-1, 3-2. Uh, so the series could be much more interesting than people would have thought, Zach. No doubt. Um, and any more, any more questions for me on uh, like an upcoming series or should we wrap this up? No, I think we should we should uh, wrap this bad boy up. It looks like we're in closing time, and um, 
uh, as we as we talked a little bit earlier, we're looking to extend this show a little more than an hour. Uh, I'm working on and getting the availability to do so, so we can continue on with this wonderful conversation. But since we're uh, running out of the time here, um, it was great being on again, uh, eating at this smorgasbord of uh, uh, sports topics. Um, I hope uh, your Rams make a well, not your Rams, even though you're a Cowboys fan, but your hometown team makes a, a good decision. And then, um, even though I hate the Cowboys, I hope uh, for your sake that they they make a good decision at four there too. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more next week. Um, sure, we'll talk during the week. But as for now, uh, great show as always from the East Coast. Saying bye to the West Coast. Uh, great show, brother man. Yeah, awesome show, man. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, as always, look forward to speaking to you next week. I do want to thank our partners at R&B Music and the Major League Fantasy Sports. You can tune in to the Major League Fantasy Sports Baseball Show every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This week, very special guest, Mr. Ron Chandler, will be on the show. You can also catch my other show, which is Major League Fantasy Baseball Weekly, every Thursday at 8 p.m. And this week, we have a very special guest, fantasy baseball radio personality, Lenny Melnick. So be sure to check out both those shows, Thursday, 8 p.m. Eastern, and Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern. I want to thank everyone who contributed to our show here today. On behalf of Zach and myself, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Lou Landers. We'll be back next week on Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.